Thank you for tuning in to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. You're about to hear a live sermon, which was recorded at our 11 a.m. contemporary service. We are thrilled to share it with you. Thank you for listening. Well, it's good to see everyone this morning. Um, several announcements. Number one, uh, Stanley Leary is walking around taking pictures. We're going to use, uh, we're doing it about three of our services this morning, trying to get them for the website so we can faithfully represent and let folks know what's going on here at RPC. So he's got a camera. If you fall asleep during the sermon, you will be documented. Okay. You're warned. Okay. Then also, um, we are taking signups for community groups for during Lent, starting uh, at the March 23rd. It's going to be an opportunity for us to come together. You know, we have many different services spread out in different uh, sanctuaries. We want an opportunity for people to come together and to grow spiritually this Lent. We'll be following the sermon series. If you're interested, outside of outside the Welcome Center in the sanctuary. They have sign-up sheets. They're happening all over at different times and days to accommodate folks' busy schedules. So I really hope that we'll take advantage of that. Well, today we continue our sermon series, Counterfeit Gods. We're looking at the idols of our culture that prevent us from being all that God wants us to be. Although they say that religious affiliation is in decline in North America. I don't think that means people are any less religious. They've just chosen to show religious devotion or worship to seemingly secular things, secular activities, secular objects. We've looked at several of them. Busyness, looked at leisure. Last week we looked at family and today we're gonna look at technology. How does technology get in the way of us truly flourishing as God intends for us? Conceptually, this is a little difficult because it kind of overlaps with busyness. You know, initially they said technology, you know, would create more free time in our lives. Have you found that to be true? No, just work follows you everywhere. So we're going to look at what, um, how technology can be both a good and a bad. I think technology tempts us by thinking that by using it, we can become enough. I think that's wrong. I chose a text today from the book of Genesis. It's the first time, I think, in Scripture where we see human beings coming together to innovate to achieve their desires. And they build what we call the Tower of Babel. So let us look at Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals had built. And the Lord said, look, They are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. So come, let us go down and confuse their language there, so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore it was called Babel, 
because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that in the next few moments you might be our teacher. Lord, we are swimming in a world full of technology. It can become so overwhelming that we don't even notice. And so we ask today that you might help open our eyes. Give us wisdom to know how we can use technology in healthy ways, but not worship it. Lord, now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In his book, Seculosity, the author David Zoll begins his chapter on technology with a story of a conversation that happened in the early 1890s. The renowned artists Edgar Degas, Jean-Louis Ferrain, and Pierre-Auguste Renoir are all together at Degas' house. And he's just brought a new device in, into the home. The device was the telephone. One of them says, when the, when the bell rings, you get up and answer it? Why, yes, certainly, Ferrain says. Observing all this, Degas then says, I see, just like a servant. Degas notices that his friend has already subordinated himself to this new technology. He has made himself a slave to the technology of the telephone. Oh, if he could see us now. In our day, I don't think anyone can escape at times the slavery of the cell phone. Someone sent me a list this week, cell phones in church by generation. Generation Alpha, under five. They watch YouTube videos with earphones on their parents' phone to keep them from disrupting the service. Generation Z, ages five to 23. They take selfies and play with filters during the service. If you confront them, they will claim to be using the Bible app. Millennials, age 24 to 38. They watch church on their phone at home instead of coming to church. Generation X, ages 39 through 54. They scroll through their phone during the service and use Google to fact check the preacher. <laughs> Boomers, ages 55 to 74. Phone rings at full volume during the sermon. <laughs> you know you're out there. They let it keep ringing till it goes to voicemail. <laughs> and then lastly, we have the silent generation, ages 75 and above. Phone rings at full volume during the sermon. They answer it and tell the caller they're in church and will call back in a little while. <laughs> if we are not careful, Technology will make slaves out of each of us. We'll all become slaves. In our text today, we read the story of the construction of the Tower of Babel. The people come together, they have one language, and they begin to innovate to achieve their desires. They say, let us make bricks. And then let's build a city. And then let's 
make and construct a tower that reaches to the heavens. Did you catch why they decide to build a tower? In verse four, it reads, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. Other translations translate that, let us make our name great. And here we see the root of all human sin, the sin of pride. Let us use technology to reach the heavens and make a name for ourselves. To make our name great. Throughout history, we can see human beings using technology to make their name last, to make their name great. The pharaohs built pyramids in Egypt so that their name would last longer than they were alive. Benefactors put their names on the sides of buildings so they can make their name great. We name our companies with our last names. So people will know the Ford Motor Company, Air Jordan Sneakers. We aren't so different from those people. Down through the ages, people have used technology to reach the heavens to make our names great. The irony of this whole process, though, is if we use technology to make our names great, in the end, we will become enslaved by the technology. So I ask you, what are you trying to make your name great for? Because when we fail to worship God, we end up putting something else in God's place. Something else has to take that place reserved for God, that place of ultimate importance. Technology takes the place of God because it tempts us to think and us to think that we can be like God. And I mean this quite literally. Traditional Christian theology says that God has certain features. It affirms that God is omniscient. God is all-knowing. God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. Technology is so seductive because it tries to take the place of God in these ways. So omniscience, technology tempts us to think that we can be all-knowing. Now in our hands, we have the ability to access seemingly infinite amounts of information. We can check our spelling with a flick of a button. We can instantaneously find the fastest route home. We have algorithms to protect, predict our spending habits. It's like in our pockets, we carry a library, the phone book to the world, more data than we could have ever imagined. I read that in the year 2013, 90% of the data in the world had been created in the previous two years. Technology aspires to offer complete and total knowledge, omniscience. How about omnipotence? Technology tempts us into thinking we can be all-powerful, that we can control the temperature of our homes when we're at the office, that we can fly anywhere in the world if we have the money for the ticket. We can listen to whatever music we want wherever we go. 
We can enter virtual and augmented realities. We can create our own reality. We are omnipotent. Or how about omnipresence? Technology thinks that we can be present everywhere. It tempts us into this idea. Who has a security camera at their home that they watch with their cell phone? I'm going to get you. We are being tracked constantly for the products we buy, the websites you frequent, wherever you take your cell phone in what marketers call surveillance capitalism. You're being watched all the time. Our technology reveals our aspiration to be like God. You know what's true about towers though? No matter how high you build them, they're still connected to the ground. You and I, human beings, we come from the ground. We're connected to it. And so we must remember the limits of technology. Technology can be used to enhance and create, but it can also tempt us to forget our humanness, forget our very humanity. I read a story not too long ago in The New Yorker. It was about Japan's crisis, really, of a culture of suicide. There's this whole group of young men that numbers in the hundreds of thousands called the Hikamori. They've become addicted to games, their computers, and they never leave their homes. Their parents will bring the food into their rooms because they never want to leave. Many of these folks don't leave for years. They often also develop a phobia and fear of people. Well, there's this counselor there in Japan that works with these young people. And the counselor says he has a process, a series of questions. He works with someone to wake them up to their life. It begins by asking, imagine that you will die in three months. What would you do? What if you were going to die in one month? What about one week? How about 10 minutes? And inevitably, these young people will begin to weep. They're moved to tears as they begin to think about their life. But he deals with one guy who's a 38-year-old young man. And he's given this series of questions. And he says, I've never considered anything about life. All I've thought about is death. And then the counselor asks this question. If he'd never really lived, how could he want to die? How? If he never really lived, how could he want to die? Technology can fool us into forgetting about our lives, our humanity. The problem is, is technology is so ubiquitous that we barely even notice. How many have ever seen The Office? All right, good, some hands. This, there's this great episode and scene where Michael and Dwight are going to a sales call and it's on the other side of this lake. And the GPS is kind of guiding their direction and so Michael's following it and the GPS voice says, make a right. And Dwight intervenes and says, wait, 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 no. No, no, it means bear right up at the sign. And Michael says, no, no, it said, make a right. And Dwight says, no, no, it means bear right at the sign. And Michael says, no, Dwight, maybe it knows a shortcut. 
Dwight's like, no, it doesn't. And then Michael says, the machine knows, the machine knows. And then he turns right and goes right into the lake. And Dwight, being the guy he is, screams, don't worry, I was trained for this. <laughs> Sometimes the machine is not always right. Technology does not always know what's right. In his 2010 book, Program or Be Programmed, 10 Commands for a Digital Age, the writer, author, Douglas Rushkoff, offers kind of a 10 commandments for engaging with technology, but also retaining your humanity in the midst of it. My favorite one of those commands is this. Command number two, live in person. Here's what he says. Digital technologies are decentralized technologies. They work from far away, exchanging intimacy for distance. This makes them terrifically suitable for long-distance communication and activities, but rather awful for engaging with what or who is right in front of us. By using a dislocating technology for a local connection, we lose our sense of place as well as our home field advantage. It says, in our... In other words, he's saying, in our desire to be omnipresent like God, we miss those folks who are right in front of us. I mean, I, I bet most of us have been at dinner at some point. We've looked to our right and seen a couple there at dinner, and both of them are just staring at their individual phones. And you're like, you could have just stayed home and saved the money. But this is how technology works. Helps us forget the reality, the people that are right in front of us. We have to be careful with these dislocating technologies. Also, technology in many ways has made us dumber and more foolish. <laughs> this past week in preparation for the sermon, I returned to an essay I'd read maybe about 10 years ago by the author, Syracuse professor, George Saunders. Saunders is a creative writer. He's got some books of nonfiction. But he's got this essay he wrote called The Braindead Megaphone. And he begins it with a little parable. He says, imagine you're in a room full of people and all these people are in conversation with one another. Then in walks a guy with a megaphone. The guy goes into the middle of the room and begins to blast his voice in and then out of the megaphone. What happens? Well, people turn and they start to listen to him. Then people begin to agree or disagree with whatever he says. And because he's so loud, the individual conversations that are going on begin to respond to the man with the megaphone. Now their responses occur not because of his intelligence or because he has unique experience or the ability he has with language. It happens because he has the megaphone. Saunders defines the megaphone as this. The composite of the hundreds of voices we hear each day that come to us from people we don't know via high-tech sources. We have to be careful of what we allow to be the megaphone of our lives. What are the loudest voices? Saunders says, you really have two switches on the megaphone. One switch controls the, the intelligence of its rhetoric. The second switch controls its volume. Ideally, the volume should be low and the intelligence of the rhetoric should be high. I don't know if you've been on the internet recently. Not always how it goes. 
We don't have to look far to see dystopian pictures of the future. 1984, Brave New World, Hunger Games, Super Sad True Love Story, Terminator 1 through 4. The futurist John Jean Lanier wrote a book called You Are Not a Gadget. Lanier was kind of a futurist philosopher thinking about the impact of technology. He was giving a lecture at the South by Southwest conference in Austin, Texas. And he asked the audience to refrain from blogging or tweeting or responding to anything he said. He says, if it's memorable, you'll remember it after it. And then it'll be a part of you. You'll be able to comment. And then he has this. He says this line. You have to find a way to be yourself before you can share yourself. You have to find a way to be yourself before you can share yourself. You are not a gadget. Jesus came to, to set us free from the slavery of sin, to want to build our towers of technology high into the heavens to be like God, to make a name for ourselves. In the Gospels of Matthew and the Gospels of Luke, it tells the stories of the temptations of Jesus. Jesus goes into the wilderness and the devil comes to tempt him. And at one point, he shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil says, if you will worship me, I will give you their glory and authority. He's saying, would you worship a counterfeit God? And notice what Jesus says. He says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil tempts Jesus to make his name great by using the technology of the world. But Jesus says no to pride. In fact, we see him do the exact opposite. He makes his name great by becoming low, by becoming a servant, by offering his life for the life of the world. Technology can try to fool us and get us to forget this great truth. Oftentimes we forget the resources that are being put into make us spend, to make us decide to go right rather than left, all of the decisions of our lives, how technology motivates and decides. Back in 2012, Courtney was just finishing up law school at Stanford and living in Palo Alto, and we had just gotten engaged, and so we were out there to celebrate. And she had this roommate, and her boyfriend worked at Facebook. He'd made his way quite high up in the organization. And they invited to take us out for dinner. They said, we want to celebrate with you. And so we did. We had this marvelous dinner, stayed up late. And then towards the end of dinner, Ben turns to me and says, Jeff, how would you like to go to the Facebook world headquarters? Yes. It was pretty late at night when we got there. It was fairly deserted. No one was there. And so we're walking around, seeing kind of the open workspace. It looked very similar to the social network. And I was walking around, checking it out. And then I asked Ben this. I say, Ben, where does Mark Zuckerberg sit? He says, right over here, let me show you. I said, Courtney, grab a camera. <laughs> and so we walk over, and Courtney takes a picture of me sitting at Mark Zuckerberg's desk. This is the first time it's ever been shown in public. <laughs> Do not tell him I don't want him after me. But as I was sitting there, I look on the wall and they have this map of the world and there are all these digital blinking lights on it. 
And these lights represent users of Facebook all over the world who are on the app right now. And I was struck by the power that is in this technology. Power to do good or ill. And so I began to ask myself, am I going to let technology make me less human? Am I going to control it or is it going to control me? Am I going to worship it or am I going to put it in its rightful place? Because if we worship it, it will enslave us. See, our attempts to climb into the heavens through the towers of technology will never make us feel like we are enough. It'll always let us down. We will never be like God. But here's the good news. Where the towers of technology have failed, God in Jesus Christ hasn't remained far off and distant in the heavens. God has come to us in Jesus Christ. God has become one of us. And the message he brought to us is this. Don't try to climb into the heavens. You'll never make it. But open your heart, your soul, to the message of Jesus Christ that has come from the heavens among us. And that message is that you are loved and you are enough. You are not a slave. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you have come to us in Jesus Christ. We pray that we might hear that word amidst the chaos of technology that goes around. May we not try to construct a tower to the heavens, but that we might listen to your voice that comes from heaven to earth. We thank you for all that you have done. We thank you for the freedom that is offered to us in Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. If you'd like more info about Roswell Presbyterian Church, check out our website at roswellpres.org.